Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. It is very special because I, Jeremy Fisk, am hosting again for the first time in a long time. And I'm first joined time, by long time. Chapin Hemingway and Lee Carlo. Today we are going to review the 2001 film Mulholland Drive directed by David Lynch. I can't believe it. I'm just so excited to be here. I'm in this dream place. This one comes highly recommended. Dream place. What are you doing? Get out of the car. The girl is still missing. What's wrong? I don't know who I am. I wonder where you were going. Mulholland Drive. Come on, it'll be just like in the movies. We'll pretend to be someone else. Silencio. This is all. I know who you are, don't you? Where's this going? It's been a very strange day. I'm getting stranger. Alright guys, so there is a lot to unpack with this film. And it's a bit difficult to sort of drive this conversation in one direction or another just because of how much there is with this film, whether it's Lynch's direction itself, its place in cinema history, the time it came out, its whole L.A. noir feel that it's uh, giving off. So... I'm going to be a little bit general, but also kind of feel out where you guys are at and ask you with this film, without even telling me if you liked it on the rewatch or loved it or hated it, what about this film, each of you, appealed to you the most? What part of this this film were you guys most drawn to? Well... It's changed for me a little bit. Um, in the past, a huge part of it has been the mood of this movie. Um, you know, you talk about and that it can't L.A. Be noir. The, it can't be the sex scene. Yeah. yeah. Now it's oh. those. Damn it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll give you some time, Chapin, to come up with another one. Um, it was always the mood, that L.A. noir feel that this movie has, kind of the pacing um, you know, c- mixed with the mystery of everything that's going on. I just thought it was such a cool vibe. Um, and I still love that about this movie, but I- I've now seen it probably four or five times. I've read a lot of literature about it. Um, Lee, can I just ask you real quick, those four yep. or five times, is that recently or was it at the when the movie sort of came out? I know that's, you that's particularly old. love this movie. Yeah, that's over time, on. over the years, probably yeah. four or five times. I've probably seen it twice in the last two or three years now, including this viewing. Um, But whatever it's been, um, you know, I spent kind of a lot of time 
dissecting and thinking about and reading about this movie and and what is most interesting to me about it now is putting the pieces together and I'm curious just kind of what how you guys feel about all that because I know you haven't seen it nearly as many times but you know but what it's, if the pieces aren't meant to fit well that's kind of part of the intrigue right is that you know Lynch is a funny director like that where it might just not all make sense there might there might be things that you're never going to figure out but that's that's kind of the game right it's kind of just like seeing what fits and what doesn't and what what interpretation you can have even if it's the wrong one and i think that that's kind of a really cool aspect and i really really enjoyed it about well, this movie this in your, time in around your opinion in your opinion, Lee, how does he pull that off, or does he pull it off? I'm assuming you think he does. How does he pull that pull that off without it being maddening for an audience? And like, I, if you're uh, really following the mystery of it and the pieces of it, if all the pieces don't fit, and I think we can all agree, there's certainly parts of this that are up for interpretation. How does he how does he do that if if his audience members sort of glued to figuring it out and it's nothing to really figure out i i think what prevents this movie from being just a bona fide masterpiece is the fact that it is maddening and you kind of need to watch it a bunch of times and read timelines and breakdowns and flow charts about it to really kind of piece it together I think absent of that, like if it has a little bit more and is is a little bit less maddening, especially for a first or second time viewing it, it's it's a masterpiece. But it it I have to I have to just submit to the fact that this movie is incomprehensible in many ways. Okay. So and before we get into like Lynch as a director, and I think we're, we'll definitely do that. Chapin, what what about this movie <clears throat> surprised you or most appealed to you? I kind of like the L.A. of it all. I mean, having yeah, lived yeah. in L.A. with with Lee and you, Jeremy, <clears throat> for a short time. Oh, thanks for remembering. Um, it was Burbank. Come on. L.A. is a very strange place. Um, and I think a couple of the identities of this film are wrapped up, are, are we experienced, um, especially Lee and I, uh, when we were in L.A. Like, I think when we got there, we talked about this before, you know, being asked to deliver a manila envelope to Paramount Pictures or or driving around the Universal oh, lot or working random ranch in the middle of the night. Yeah. Or, is definitely a place I've visited <laughs> or or working, you know, going and seeing all these like historical places. And, you know, in many ways, I was like Betty coming off of the plane and had my eyes wide open. And then then there are moments when, you know, you've worked you the like night Diane. shift or you've finished an 18 hour shift and made, you know, six, you know, $600 a week or whatever. And you're like, you look like, you looked like Diane, Diane at the end of it. And, um, you know, like, I don't know, like there's something so weird about LA. Like it's, it's, it's a place that has like no identity, but like also hundreds of identities, you know, and it can be this like very seedy place, but at the same time be this very irreverent, place and, and kind of a, a, a like a pastiche and it can be kind of um uh what's the word i'm thinking of you know when when art is kind of absurdist and over the top you know it can be kind of baroque and uh and and i loved la for that like it was never an it was never not an interesting place to live it was yeah. a frustrating place to live and not always a nice place to live but it was never uh, never boring right. um and 
you know, especially LA at night, which Lee and I have talked extensively about, uh, it's, it's captured here in a way. And I think, I think Lynch has, this is like a twisted love letter to specifically Hollywood, which is where we lived. Um, so yeah, that's what I kind of loved most about this. Yeah, I know. I think those, those are, are, are definitely a huge part of this film. Um, I feel like also when this movie sort of came out, I mean, it's, here's the thing. It's very Lynch. Like you recognize certain things, especially if you had seen Twin Peaks or mm-hmm. Blue Velvet, not necessarily Elephant Man as much, but you the definitely, Lost Highway. You, you, yeah. Lost Highway, you definitely get certain aspects. I mean, it, it's like clearly Lynch, but it also seemed sort of groundbreaking at the time. Um, and I'm not quite sure what, what it is. I mean, I have an idea. It, it was okay. Go ahead. Well, I think it's the kind of, so I, I think if you're going to try to like explain Mulholland drive really quickly, you'd say something along the lines of it's, well, it's kind of all a dream, right? But it's much more than that. I mean, that is a huge factor, but really what I have uncovered in multiple viewings and everything and reading about it is that it's it's actually not just a dream and not just her reality but also kind of an illusion all running parallel to each other and that's such an innovative way to tell a story and to you know recreate an interpretation of dreams and you know something that we talk all the time about with inception and what nolan did and how he kind of talked about the science of dreams and how dreams feel real when they're in them and it was all these like very relatable things that he was talking about in a very broad sense. And here it's much more hidden um, and it's it's much more vague, but he's running these kind of three parallel storylines from basically Naomi Watts' character's perspective, whoever she, she may be within uh, each individual story. So she's she's dreaming about this this life that she wishes she had in Hollywood. She's dealing with the reality of the life she has but she also has these illusions about you know what is has caused her life to go this way and running those stories all at the same time without really giving an audience a sense of which time we're in past or present is super innovative and i think is groundbreaking like you're saying yeah i think i think what lynch does here that's special that's super special is if you if you build a movie around sort of a dream, if anything goes, then how do you control it? But he manages to control that. If you can control that aspect of it, then you have something. But if you can't control it, it's off the rails, and what are you really giving people? So I think that's what he does that's special here, is he's able... Con- to at least put some framework around the dream, around the world he's creating. And I think the audience senses that and understands that. And because of that, they can appreciate it. Do you guys think that the... So my, my favorite part of this movie is the quote-unquote after she wakes up. Right. It's when it's when Diane, when Betty becomes Diane, that last maybe half hour, 40 minutes of the movie. Right. And a lot is revealed in that. Right. You start to see the character name switch 
Um, you start to see these other characters that you've seen before pop up as other people. Do you think that those things that we're seeing happen, you know, she sees the waitress with the name Betty. She sees um, she sees the, the other guy that told the story about his dream and Winkies standing uh, at the counter, like all these little things yeah. that she sees did, the cowboy in the background just walking. Right. Do you think that those work in terms of justifying how her dream plays out in this movie? Is do it? You think a, that, do you know I, it's a dream though? We don't know for sure. That's the it, thing. It's like I think well, this that is actually is one thing that we do know because there's a lot of hint, clues that that show you that she's dreaming. You see her that that very nearly opening shot where it's just like close up on the pillow in the sheets is kind of like her and like there's this heavy breathing like her going and falling asleep and then she's lying in that in that bed later when she wakes up as diane um among other things there's all there's lines of dialogue where she even says like now i'm living in this dream place and you know and then she's talking about like imagine we'd just be like we're in the movies and they go to that uh weird opera house and he's like it's all an illusion so there's there's all these little hints about that. I think that it being a dream is maybe the one definitive thing that you can narrow in on that's going on. But obviously there's a lot of other things happening in the periphery that are up for much more interpretation. Hmm. Like what's all the nonsense, all the like sort of gangster aspects of this, like with the cowboy. So, yeah. So that the, so like I said, I've read a, a ton about this. I don't know that we should spend, the whole pod talking about, you know, the interpretation I read of this or that. But what made a lot of sense to me this time is that her, and this factors into kind of the illusion that she's having. She believes that the only way that she wouldn't have gotten that part in the movie is if, you know, there were these mob bosses and all these people pressuring the director to cast somebody else. So that's the narrative she's created in her head in this dream that, you know, it couldn't have been me. I was, I was great. I didn't get the role, not because I'm not a good actress, but because these people forced the director to cast somebody else. So that's, that's what the impression I got from that. That made sense to me. But again, there's all, there's tons of different interpretations. Some things will make sense to some people and some to others, but I just, I just don't think Lynch really ultimately wants us to figure it all out. I think that's I think a that's huge his, part. I, I think that's... Uh, Otherwise it would be would more linear. be like, oh, yeah, like, it, to there, it's all the answers are here, you just gotta figure it out. I don't think that's, that's what he's trying to do. It's not Inception, where you can draw a diagram or something as convoluted and, and crazy as it is, you probably can do that, and I think that is Nolan's goal, is to outsmart you i don't think lynch is doing that here he's he's just taking you sort of on a a journey of what it's like to live this sort of la life yeah and 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 it goes back to chapin's point of the la niche of it all um in particular I think about I think about that scene where the hitman is trying to kill that one guy and there's this hilarious scene where he accidentally has to kill three people and it was just like so Tarantino it was so like Paul Thomas it was just like this it was it was just super LA like criminal yeah. ab- about that 
And I, I think that's what Lynch was doing. He was just sort of wrapping all this stuff into what was so, a, a sort of an opus of, of Los Angeles. So on the DVD, evidently Lynch provided some clues to the meaning of the okay, film. Do you want me to read them? There's 10. Sure, Pay yep. particular attention to the, in the beginning of the film, at least two clues are revealed before the credits. Notice appearances yep. of the red lampshade. Can you hear the title of the film that Adam Kesher is auditioning actresses for? Is it mentioned again? An accident is a terrible event. Notice the location of the accident. Who gives a key and why? Notice the robe, the ashtray, the coffee cup. What is felt, realized, and gathered at the, cl- at cl- at the club Silencio? Did talent alone help Camilla? Note the occurrence surrounding the man behind Winkies. Where is Aunt Ruth? None of that helped me. So I get everything he's talking about, but again, I've seen this movie a, a few more times than you guys have. And again, it's it sounds to me like you guys liked this enough to continue to revisit it, which I'd encourage you to do. Like it does, I yeah. think it rewards multiple viewings. And even if the goal is not for you to solve it, it's fun trying to. It's fun trying to put those pieces together and recognizing that red lamp and remembering this piece and that piece. And you know, like any movie, you pick up things the more times you watch them. And I just find this movie to be super rewarding because every time, especially if it's been a little while since you've watched it again, that mood just like overtakes you, right? That LA-ness that we're talking about that I think we all love about this movie. And like it it's totally captures you and takes you along for the ride. So you've got that. And then just let yourself try to like piece things together. And I think it's super interesting. And like, you know, you hear these little simple lines of dialogue. And then even if you want to dig really deep, there's like this casting choices he makes to kind of pay homage to old Hollywood and, you know, all these little decisions he's making just as kind of a film geek that I'm sure, you know, the critics and Academy and I don't know, I forget. I don't think this did really well to Oscars. I know it was very critically acclaimed, but um, which is surprising. Just, just, yeah, just nominated for best director. But yeah, surprising (sighs) because it's just such a, Hollywood movie. Hollywood, yeah. Hollywood loves itself. We know um, that. Yeah, and obviously 2001, we've been talking a lot about um, yeah, Beautiful Mind winning Best Picture. Um, oh, God. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just think, like, this is this is a movie that you can go into and and leave with, with everybody can leave with a different favorite part, and which is, you know, apt to your opening question Jeremy because like you could leave thinking the filmmaking this is stunning and I I can't wait to see the 4k um version of this because even though it does look good the the um version I watched looks a little bit like the transfer wasn't great um and some of those shots are of LA at night are just stunning and you know some of the some of the work that uh, Lynch does just with his camera and some of his like fades and cross dissolves and all that stuff is like yeah. super interesting and, and you in, can geek out on that for the whole movie if you want. In general, or you can I like something completely different. Overall, I think I like the style of this movie, but some of it is like actually very basically lit and looks bad. I think. But I think. What are you talking about? The D the DP is Peter Deming, who was the uh, also the DP for X Men: New Mutants. Mm. Oh, so you know which him. I worked on, so I know him. He's done a lot. He did Cabin but, in the Woods. No, no, he's he, he's good. There's certain stuff. shots in this I 
like when they go into the club. I mean, he shot a ton. That of when it goes, when the when the camera sort of um, pushes yeah, in like across that. the parking lot. Like I said, there. I like the I like the style in general, but I think there's there is some sort of just like very. I mean, this this started off as a TV pilot, so it has that kind of yeah look. It does feel like that at, right. at times, and um, yeah, that's a whole another interesting piece is that the whole intention was this of this movie was Lynch's plan was to go back to TV after Lost Highway had some success, and he had basically scripted this and pitched it, um, and I think shot it right as like a TV pilot. Yeah, um, and it didn't get picked up, and then he decided to adapt it into into a feature film um you know you can you can tell watching this that you know he had he had a lot more about all of these characters that would have played out in a long series right um you know dedicating a whole episode to to it they did but you can imagine like the hitman character that we really don't see a lot. Like there could have been a whole lot more with him and there could have been a whole lot more with the guy that gets scared at Winkies and, you know, learning about his, his story, even though he's sort of just, I think a representation of, you know, her Naomi Watts's fears. But, um, yeah, I just think there's a lot to be told here that would have been, would have been an interesting TV show. I'm glad it's a movie, but know what else i appreciated from this movie uh since we're talking a little bit about technical stuff is its sound design yeah and its, its score cool and style, how yeah. it intermixes the two really well I, I, in particular that scene where uh justin Theroux drives uh who plays the director drives up to the ranch and he doesn't know who he's meeting or what it the and the way the music mixes with the 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 light flickering yeah, yeah. on and off and the wind it, it's like you you almost can't even tell the difference it's really really well done yeah there's a lot of takeaways um, with with the sound design and the music and like how right from the opening right where it gets you when you're on Mulholland Drive and it just gives you this like intense eeriness like you're almost watching a you know a thriller or a horror movie or something and yeah, it opens I mean, in such cliche fashion, right? These guys in the limo turn around and point a gun at them. And it's like, it's intentionally done that way. And also like the dialogue is delivered very sort of like, you know, quirkily and ham-fisted into, into it and stuff. And But it, the music is so intentional and obvious at times that it's it's doing that on purpose, right? It's like making a movie. Oh, of course. Or like highlighting well, the fact that it's a movie, highlighting that this is Hollywood. Well, that that gets us into like, Lynch as a director and we don't talk about him very much on this podcast because we I, I think this is a first I don't think we wrong, I, first I don't know that we like him as a director I mean we've ever I love this movie. I mean I know I love Elephant Man and I like this movie a lot I like I Twin, Peaks, Twin a lot. Peaks yeah um so I think I think we do like him as a director but we don't talk about him as a director very much and he's very intentional with with that sort of stuff like you're saying Lee like you talk about that opening scene at Winkies and yes maybe it's a dream most likely it's a dream but the way they talk to each other how do you direct that yeah. in a way that it's like the the actors are full of emotion in their face but their dialogue's almost wooden it's a yeah. very specific thing I think Naomi Watts gets... does that so well in this movie yeah, well, right. I, think we should, scene, I, I think we should, she is an absolute standout yeah. in this. Yeah, she's really. We should good. definitely talk about her, dedicate a se- uh, segment to her right now because I've never seen anyone, uh, 
anyone's performance where they have to play that sort of Lynchian wooden character, but then have to act in front of right. you as an audience. And they're, they're so good at the acting part where yeah, they seem was, sort of wooden that was as extraordinary. the. It, it's it's really it's really amazing. It, it's honestly that that scene was like so compelling, the audition. But I was yeah, like, yeah, what is this about? Where why are we watching <laughs> I know. this? I know it, 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 it was a little uncomfortable too, and and sexually yeah, harassing. That, that guy but... is like eighty five years old or something. <laughs> but it's like, supposed. Yeah. To, I think it's supposed to be so. Like he's supposed to be like the hugest sleazebag, right? Like that, and it's just like. As soon as she walks in, it's just like all guys except for those two ca- like casting agents who like swoop her out of there as soon as they can when they see that she's got talent. But all these sleazy guys that are just like, let's perform the scene how I want to perform it. Yeah. Okay. So Lee, you've, no, uh, you've read everything. I mean, are, are we done talking about Watts? I mean, I feel like we are. This is her first like big movie too, which is really? I did not realize she'd obviously worked. She'd had like roles in TV and stuff, but. Did she not get nominated for this? No, I no. thought she had been, but that's that's embarrassing. She's amazing in this. All right, uh, so, you, all right, move on. Chapin, you want to talk about something else? Yes, I just wanted to ask Lee what you, after all, if you had gun to your head, what what would you say this movie is about? I mean, like, well, um, one one like what happens? Like, what what do you think happens in the movie? And then ultimately, thematically, what is this about? So what happens is, I think it's about what it's really, I don't, see, I don't know that this is a theme, but the story essentially is like the rise and fall of the Hollywood dream, right? Like it's. I would would say that's correct. Yeah, but but with, (laughs) okay, yeah, sorry. So she arrives, she arrives in, in Hollywood and whether her getting off the plane at the airport is the reality or the dream version of that doesn't matter. She's wide eyed, you know, she's excited. She can't believe she's there. She wants to become a famous actress. She gets auditions, all this stuff. And that's why I think it's interesting is that you can decide whether like, is this the dream or is this reality? Is this an illusion? It doesn't really matter. They all kind of just run parallel. Anyway, she meets, um, she meets Laura Haring's character, Camilla, um, on the set of a movie. Uh, and, you know, she falls in love with her. They have a relationship. Wait, but, but then, we don't see that happening. No, but we learn about that in the aftermath. After she's woken up, we know we learn that they had the relationship. We flash back to that scene on the couch where she's like trying to fool around with her, but she tells her to stop. So, and then she basically, you know, has she has at some point during this kind of downfall where she's, you know, no longer. Um, having any success as an actress presumably she's working at like a at winkies as a waitress and she has this dream right about how she wishes it all went that she that she is in fact this woman named betty and um camilla who is really rita is this woman that's getting in the way and she loves rita and she's going to help rita discover who she is after this accident and so on and so forth but then when she wakes up and realizes her reality and laura herring is engaged to to Justin Thoreau, she decides to hire a hitman to kill her. Um, and whether it's guilt or paranoia. What about, what about the, all the rubbish with in the beginning? Which rubbish I think are you that's talking all about? a dream. 
all, think, all the I, stuff about I mean the most of the movie is the detective story kind of which but, I think is right, mostly think the dream yep yeah that's the dream that's mostly the dream aspect of it and you know that's again you can you can say that some parts of the dream could also be part of her reality but that is in many ways kind of how a dream works right you know there's things that are real there are things that you know are are in one place and then if you're saying it's all a dream you know how i feel about those well i knew that coming in right but that's why i think makes this movie interesting is because you can't just get away with saying this movie is just all a dream there's more to it than that it's multiple things running parallel with each other um because i know you hate but the idea think, of like you get to the end and you just say it, it was all a dream what i think elevates it beyond it was all a dream is it's hitting at the that uh need for stardom that that want that wanting to be sort of famous and and uh, you know that whole la vibe of it you were talking about at the beginning chapin elevates it beyond just the it was a dream because yeah the part of part of wanting to be a star is dreaming it's dreaming of it and it's and not like just that's that. part of the aspect of it yes like two hours of this movie you know whatever it is, is the quote-unquote dream, maybe, perhaps, right? But even in that short amount of time at the end, you are. I think that justifies that dream so well because you see what the reality is and why this person would have this dream, right? Like why they would go to sleep, fall asleep, and and dream about something better and, and brighter when their life is, in fact, the complete opposite, and yeah. the way it ends is tragic, right? If you really think about this movie linear, linearly and you think about her getting off the plane, bright-eyed, so excited, you know, I can't believe I'm here. This is like a dream. I'm going to, uh, you know, and uh, that woman, uh, old lady says, oh, we'll see you on the big screen. And she says, oh, wouldn't that be the day? F- fast forward to her sh- shooting herself in the head. Like that is a tragedy that I'm sure has happened and I'm sure is like a very unfortunately common story even if it's not that dramatic for people that go to LA with that dream and so I think that all justifies that two hours worth of illusion or dream that you see right I mean how many people jump on a plane go to LA with that those uh, aspirations and end up working at Winkies you know like Maybe not killing themselves, maybe not hiring somebody to kill a movie star, but it's pretty. It can get pretty depressing, um, and as we know, as we all know, it, it's pretty depressing there in general. LA is a weird place in that they can. It, it's it's a lot of lipsticks, lipstick on a pig. Like you can walk into one restaurant and it's beautiful, and walk outside and there's just trash and garbage everywhere and that's the hottest restaurant in you know in in town so i i don't know it's it's i think it sums that up really well um and i think it does justify the dream aspect of it yeah uh that being said i think lynch throws other ass throws other things in here that really i don't know if he wants to be able to explain or can be explained just like the old couple i i don't really completely understand that i don't really completely understand the guy behind the homeless guy behind uh the homeless witch behind winky right. so scary understand. so scary with the who ends up <laughs> with the box at the end yeah, yeah completely understand that like there's parts of it that sure and all of these things yeah 
all of these things, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll let you guys do it. You can go on and read the interpretation and what those things mean. And like when you do read them, you're like, okay, that makes sense. That's an interesting theory. And then you'll read something else. Well, and you're tell like, oh, us. That tell works. us what and, it is because we want to well, know. I know, but I, that's why I just encourage you to do it. I don't want to, especially if, you know, people haven't seen this movie yet. I don't want to necessarily well, Jesus. do that. But, but so the old couple... There's that there's that weird scene after she leaves, right, where they're just like laughing maniacally in their car, right at the very beginning, right. You know, and so that the theory on that is that like this this couple's been here, they've met a million of these Bettys that think they're coming here to become a star, and they're just like, <laughs> we'll see how that goes for her. She'll probably end up dead in a year, and it's supposed. To, I think it's supposed to hint that like this isn't actually going to be what you think it is, so. Again, read read some of these things. I think it's interesting. I hate, I've always said, I don't like it when you have to read about what a movie's about after you watch it. I think that's a bad thing. Except for and in I, this case. No, but I think, that's, I think that's what prevents this movie from really just being a masterpiece for me, is that you have to do that. That's, that's a problem. But also, Jeremy, you kind of made the point that maybe you just don't read those things. Maybe you just kind of keep watching it and create your own ideas and maybe think, it works just you, as well. Do you think the, it, so you don't read those things. You don't come up with the concept of it being a dream. You just watch this. Is there a world where the mood and feel of this movie is enough? And I definitely I would argue. So. Yes. I definitely yeah. think so. <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's such a great mood piece. It's always been the thing I remember most about it. And I think just all the stuff we've talked about and the way it captures LA, the way it captures these characters and kind of like the seediness versus the excitement and the, and the like bright glamor of Hollywood, like all that stuff is just works on its own. Like that's, that's enough for sure. I think if you want to add in all the extra elements of, you know, what everything means and who everybody is and how it all ties together in the timeline that's your prerogative. Like that's it's it's a interesting element of the movie, but isn't necessarily something that you need in order to go back and revisit it. And they had this great scene, this homage to myself before it even happened, where uh, the one guy goes to the mob boss, who's kind of in that wheelchaired room by himself, just mm-hmm. sitting there, and he goes, "Shut it down, shut oh, everything that's right. down." It takes it's weird. A, that... it, it takes a certain amount of ego to see a homage to yourself in somebody else's twenty-year-old movie. Work from yeah, exactly. So uh, that was there. Either that, or you know, that's that's how everybody sees you, Jeremy. When yeah. you're saying "shut it down," as like, <laughs> like a as like a small a man in, a in like a wheelchair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with but a voice powerful. box, <laughs> but powerful. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I think that sums it up pretty well. Do you guys have anything else, any, anything missing that you, you definitely well, need to say about this movie? Ooh. I can't I can't tell how Chapin felt about it in the end. Mm. I can't either. I feel like he wanted more of a, a, a conclusion. So I was thinking about this. Um, I forget what filmmaker it was. I think it was Kubrick who I was thinking about, but... There are some filmmakers out there. Kubrick, I think, you know, this is really the only Lynch movie I've actually seen. Um, Probably why we don't talk about him very often. Yeah. Uh, but uh, who are not interested in realism? 
right? Like they're not interested in, and realism is like uh, the wrong term here, but like, you know, when we, when we go to the movies, I think most people think, oh, they want they want to be um, <clears throat> consumed by the movie. They want to feel like they are watching something real or or a representation of something real. They want to be lost in it as if it's real life, right? Like, mm-hmm. and there's some movies that um, there's some filmmakers who are just not interested in that. Like, I think Kubrick is one of those people. Like the way his dialogue feels so stilted on first first approach right and it's clear like there's a lot of lynch doing the same thing here like a lot of betty's dialogue in the in the beginning of this film is really like i mean the dialogue in general is kind of cliche and i mean you know on its surface poorly written and i'm like do i like that <laughs> right right it's it's right hard but you know to... they're doing when you can identify they're doing it on purpose it becomes a different totally thing. totally and and Maybe that makes sense because the the stuff that you guys are telling me was a dream all feels very, you know, as if it's like a a, a kind of like B rated fifties noir movie, like like a yeah. like a um, double identity or something like that, you know, like although double double identity is well written. I mean, I mean, you know, just like something like a rip off of that, right? Like it's yeah. yeah. And, like someone trying to make that movie, but doesn't have the talent or the money to yeah, do it. Yeah, and it's it's like cheesy in a way. Like, and his filmmaking techniques are sort of cheesy in, in a lot of those parts. Um, but I, I think know, the music I, too, right? The yeah, the music, music is too. like, I, and it's like it that's it's it's sort of a callback to like Twin Peaks, right? Which is like super melodramatic and soap opery, and like he draws on that in this movie. Like, it's just like hams up the melodrama at times when it's just not appropriate but it's like let's make this as overly dramatic as possible to make sure that you understand that we're over dramatizing something that we are giving you a, a false impression of what's really going on and I think that's super interesting I'm glad you brought up Kubrick because I think there is some parallels to a movie like The Shining, right? Where it's obviously just trying to interpret certain aspects of it, you know, the the, the meanings behind every single character and everything you see, and you know, the a, a red lampshade versus Room Two Three Seven, like all all of these like things that you can just take a deep dive into theory on what they all mean and what they have to do with the movie. And I think when you have directors like Lynch and Kubrick, who are less concerned about, you know, specifically character development or how the dialogue is coming across in terms of realism and are really just focused on like every single layer from top to bottom and how that works in sort of their their own flow chart going into making the movie. I think you end up with like super layered movies that you can study. And sometimes those are hard to watch. Sometimes they don't really appeal to every audience, but you can study them and you can watch them multiple times and you can read about them and you can uncover theories that you agree with and disagree with. And I think that's just an entirely different type of movie, right? It's, it's not inception. Inception is built for you to maybe watch a couple times and put some pieces together and enjoy it a little more, but it's, it's a a seat filler. It's a crowd pleaser. Yeah. And, but I would say this is a movie to study more or less, but I would say that there's something different about Lynch and Kubrick. Like this film It's, I, I don't know that there is a, there, I don't know that there is a coherent answer to this, to what this movie is about, but nor do I think 
I think there, there wants to be. I think there, there may and there may not to be, but I do think Kubrick has. I mean, he said something similar that Lynch said about this about 2001. Like, you know, he wants 2001 to be interpreted as a symphony instead of like a film. Like, you know, don't go into like go in and feel it, and you know, or whatever the line is from Tenet. You know, just feel it. Don't yeah. try to understand it. <laughs> don't try to understand yeah, it. Which yeah. which is fine. Um, but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, but don't you think this movie, in many ways, is like that? That you should just kind of like feel this movie, like let it wash over you a little bit. No, because it's too, it's too like, it's too. Um, like well, the plot it's, itself is a- asking you to be a detective. Exactly. Like, that exactly. Is part it's, of it. It, it yeah. asks you to present like, Raymond Chandlery. It's, yeah. it's too um, sort of conventional in that way, and it's got like. You know, dialogue throughout. It's not. It's not like a visual movie like, right, like right. 2001. There's not a lot of silence. There's a lot of dialogue, but it's kind of cheesy. I don't know. Then like, uh, what, what was the whole shit with Justin Theroux and the paint and the and Billy Ray Cyrus? Billy Ray Cyrus. Like, <laughs> what, what was that all about? Like, yeah, for for a dream that's that is Naomi see, Watts' that, dream, or that's reality. Really, yeah, or the, who like knows? that's that's what I mean. It's like you. But it could. We don't know. We don't know, and that's that's okay. I think that these things are all happening kind of all in a line. We're not sure which I think, time they're taking place. What happened before what? And maybe Lynch was just like, oh, "Know what this needs? This needs some Billy Ray Cyrus." Yeah, he bring had me it. Billy Ray. <laughs> it was actually just tested poorly. And he's just like, well, what does it need, guys? Let's just let's let's have a What's little one thing. Think tank let's here. check the let's check all the notes. What does it need? Uh, yeah. I mean, the the thing is, is like I I I step away from this, and I feel like sometimes I feel like a philistine, and I feel like you know you someone who doesn't appreciate the sort of weirder films. But you know, as the one who did encourage this podcast to get into you know Soviet era films, I I feel like I'm. <laughs> A little bit, uh, you know. I, so I deserve I think, a little credit. I think but, the more times you watch this movie, the less weird it gets. There's always going to Ch- be super Chapin, weird. Was things. this like, the first time you saw this movie? All, all the way through, yeah. Wow, Jeremy. I think the first time I saw this was with you. I think we rented it, probably yeah. in like 2002, oh, 2003, a, or something. That's embarrassing, guys. I know why you rented it. It might have well, been that. No, it was probably because it got was, great reviews. We back then we were yeah, always we were the weirder the movie with then. good reviews. We were like seeking out. We went to these like did, random movie theaters. Did Jeremy go Pomdor. It did did uh, win Pomdor. Oh no, the one best director at Con did not win the Pomdor. Um, yeah, I look. I love this movie. I, I'm glad. I was like sort of afraid going into it this time, like because it's been a little. I'm like, do I really love this movie? Like, let's see. I'm, I'm gonna see how I feel about it leaving. And I think I liked it more than I ever have this time around. And I just think that's, you know, it gets a little less weird because you start to create your own interpretations and piece things together. There's always going to be the weird guy in the wheelchair and the cowboy and like all these weird lynching things. Those are never going away. And some of them might not ever make sense, but right. But if they, if they all hit, like if he adds that into the middle of a movie, that's too, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not linear, but like conventional. If he adds something to a movie that's too conventional, they're not going to work. 
but here they work. I especially think about that scene with the lady who was singing that song and they were crying and then she passes yeah. out and like it was like really sort of gut to me and I'm like that would never work in yeah, with anyone Salencia else. Club. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's like that's what you get with the Lynch. You get to experience those moments that nobody else can provide you and as a mood piece as sort of a feel film that's that's what you're you're signing up for and that's what you're getting and i think this completely delivers on that i i think that this movie is way less weird and off the rails than like season two of twin peaks or even twin peaks fire walk with me which are just like batshit crazy like this sure this feels like it has a direction like it lynch knows what's going on he knows the timeline like you guys said you're not sure if he does or not sure if he wants his audience to i think he does i think he's got the flow chart in his head i just think it's not as important to him whether or not we uncover it mm. well there you have it we just explained muholland drive to our audience is it muholland or is it moholland Mulholland, tomato, tomato. right moholland whatever uh, we all lived in LA. We can say whatever we want. I'm not sure I was ever on Mulholland Drive the entire time I lived there. Well, it's dangerous. So well, I, it would thing. surprise me because I delivered stuff to a lot of rich people's houses. So I don't yeah. know that I ever went up there. But we, you see, what it's a good thing. I wouldn't be here today. It's car accidents yeah. all the time. Just flying off the cliff. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Um, if you have any thoughts on this. You can uh, email us at feedback at gyffpodcast.com mm-hmm. or at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com uh, or at gmail.com. And uh, that's going to do it. Big week next week. What's next week? No Time to Die. Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to see that in the theater. I am too. I think you have to. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.